Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. Today on In Awe by Bruce, we are fortunate to have for the second time on our show, Neve Middleton. And she uh, had written a book last time we had talked about called Homo Lapis. Uh, but this time, she's got a different book. And it's releasing in paperback. It's called Jesus and Women Beyond Feminism. And so, as you remember, Neve was a uh, professor in Dublin, and she's now retired so that she can focus completely on writing, which is great. She spent most of her life as an atheist, and then when she was getting married, her husband was thinking about being a, a Catholic priest, and 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 that ended up not happening, and she became a born-again Christian, and then went and got her, uh, really, her doctorate in philosophy and theology. And so she's uh, quite a force when it comes to, to writing and researching and finding evidence. And so we'd just like to welcome Neve back to the uh, show. But first, I just want to say, if you're looking for the book, Neve's last name's Middleton, but her first name's spelled N-I-A-M-H, and you'll hear by her voice that she's Irish. So, you know, we celebrate being both Celtic people here. I'm a Davis Welsh, and she's Middleton Irish. So, Neve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Neve, this is a kind of a jump off of Homo Lapis, <laughs> your last book. What what started you into writing a book about Jesus and women and feminism? Well, you see, my interest in evolution really came from reading the Gospels and seeing how Jesus was so, that is his, his treatment, that so many traits are hardwired in us. And we've learned so much about them from what we know about evolution. And he was so revolutionary and so subverted them all. So my main interest was always Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, like that gave me the born again experience. Um, but I became very interested in the implications of evolution, of evolutionary science for Christian morality. And that's why I did a lot of research on evolution. That's my first book. I mean, in my first book, Homo Lapsus, it was like how um, what evolution can help us to expand upon Genesis and actually provides empirical evidence for it, you know. That was caused by my born-again experience of Jesus, and I I needed to just needed to find out more about that, so I did a lot of research on evolution. Um, but, like, in a way, this book is a sequel. So tell us how it's a sequel. What does the uh, evolution and the other things that you've researched, where does that draw you in to what you've done here in the book on Jesus and women? When I first read the Gospels, it was reading the Gospels that gave me the born-again experience. I mean, I was, uh, never forget my surprise of, of encountering a Jesus with whom I was wholly unfamiliar, really, that he was his revolutionary treatment of women. It just shows, like, you know, we know how evolutionists has uh, taught us, has given a lot of information of how perennially the battle of the sexes and the male, you know, female question, how it all evolved. I mean, Jesus was like, it was a very patriarchal society then. 
and he took such risks in his in his uh, support and, and defending of women and evolution can ha- particularly women you see can really help us to understand the divinity of Jesus give us an, an, an enriched understanding of the divinity of Jesus from what we've learned of how mm-hmm. evolved. What's the picture that you see women giving us of, of divinity? Well, okay, if you think about um, when Jesus, you know, in, in his ministry, his female disciples understood his messiahship and his divinity much more deeply than his male disciples did. I mean, they stood by him. When he was arrested, his male disciples abandoned him because, you see, they expected him to be the political messiah. They want him to be that that the Jews were expecting. And he obviously had the potential to be the political messiah. And the Jews were expecting that messiah would not only take over the Roman Empire, but would spread, would make the Jews the new Roman Empire in an ethical way, that they would spread their ethic of justice around the world. And that's what they were expecting their Messiah would be. Now, it was perfectly obvious that Jesus had the potential. He was actually tempted. You know the way at the very beginning of his ministry, in the 40 days, he was tempted. But he didn't give in to the temptation. But when he sacrificed himself, you know, when he left himself open to what happened, his his, his disciples abandoned him. They were afraid. And then they, they thought that he couldn't be, couldn't be who he thought he was. But his female disciples understood it. I mean, pre-resurrection, his female disciples understood his messiahship and his divinity. And you see, women can see strength in weakness, see? And you see, his male disciples, and this comes through as well, they, if Jesus had become the political messiah, they would have gotten power from him, they would have been with him, and they would have get, gained hugely from it. And you see, this is the male way. You see, evolution explains to us how hardwired it is. And so evolution helps us to understand what we've learned from evolutionary biology, helps us to understand why it was his female disciples who understood him. And as I also say in my book, like feminism, you see, okay, another thing is, you see, it's only contemporary women particularly, you see, women have gained rights and freedoms in the Western world greater than anywhere else. And feminism as a movement arose in the West. And there are male theologians, theologians who say that the reason that women got those rights and freedoms was due to Jesus' revolutionary treatment of women even though the church kind of doesn't like, like Roman Catholicism, you know, doesn't know authority in it and um, has never given women any authority. But they, they said that basically because, okay, in the early church, it reflected its treatment by its founder. I mean, women had equal ministries with males, including supervision of the Eucharist. Um, it dramatically regressed when Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire. But... Unlike in other religions, women were never segregated from me- from men at mass in the liturgical space. They were allowed. They were they were never segregated. There are theologians who say that that worked its way out into the secular world, and was one of the things that gave women the ability to see that they could fight for their freedoms and to understand what their what their freedom should be. The other thing too is another interesting thing is from evolution we know well we're a mild we're a polygamous species mildly polygamous because males do devote a lot to their kids but you know in the old testament like the kings and the wealthy males had lot that could have were, were polygamous and they could have concubines and so on mm-hmm. um, in the roman empire while they were monogamous but males were allowed to have sex slaves have sex with their slaves and their wives were only there basically to have children for them 
the one thing that Jesus was all about, his, his preaching was all about how to be, how to be loving. The only thing he ever said shouldn't be done was women shouldn't be treated, shouldn't be divorced. When he was asked that, they were trying to trick him, the Pharisees, because he was so defensive of women. They were trying to trick him and get an excuse to arrest him. And they were saying, well, Moses said we can give divorce, certificate of divorce to our wives. And he said, well, Moses just knew a hard-hearted year. And he quoted Genesis of God, said, a man leaves his family and he becomes moves with his wife and they become one flesh. So he's making it quite plain that, you see, he, what he was saying, you see, at that time as well, when mm-hmm. men were allowed to be polygamous and have concubines, mm-hmm. um, a female, as you know, a woman who did anything outside marriage would be executed, could be stoned to death. And as well, prostitutes, prostitution was legal because except that males needed more than one partner. So males were allowed to have premarital and extramarital sex. Like basically premaritally, they were allowed to have sex. And when they were married, like poor men, like basically prostitutes were the poor men's concubines because they couldn't afford. It was wealthy men would have polygamous enough concubines. So married men were allowed to be with prostitutes, provide, and they, they could commit adultery once it wasn't with, an, with another man's wife, because women were seen as men's possessions. And the, the thing was that in that discussion with the Pharisees, Jesus made it perfectly plain. The amazing thing to say at the time, that the same standards should be expected of males as of females that there shouldn't be divorce and that there shouldn't be adultery, that males should not be allowed. Even though, and, and that's what he defended, like he stood by prostitutes, he socialised with them and defended with them and tried to let them know that we're all sinners, that they were treated just so subhuman. But the thing is, you see, that that led in Christianity, in the Roman church, to yeah. monogamy and the ideal of monogamy and fidelity of males and females. And you see, that gave women also more status and dignity that was a very, very good, good move in, in, in early Christianity. And mm-hmm. that combined being allowed into the, into the services and masses at the same, on the same level, equality with males, that gave women freedom. That was dignity in And then that enabled you then to see further on and what else you're entitled to. At the moment now, you see, secular, it seems worked its way to, out into the, into the secular world. Secular Christianity is now ahead of institutional Christianity as regards female freedoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I argue in my book, yes. I, you know, polit- political feminism can deal with the symptoms of female oppression and the symptoms of the, the perennial battle of the sexes. Only a revolution of grace can bring about the harmony between the sexes that's depicted in Genesis, you know. God gave males and females dominion over the world and they lived in harmony with each other and with God and with creation and it's quite plain and I showed this as well in the book it's quite plain that it was a very important part of the ministry of Jesus to initiate the restoration of harmony between the sexes and as Genesis makes it clear as well you see it was the fall off of harmony between the sexes that's the basis for all conflict in the world right and to get to to get to obliterate all conflict and to get a harmony in the world the most important thing, the basis is the restoration of harmony between the sexes. And you see, that's another thing, like evolutionary biology helps us to understand very well how the, how conflicts and violence and wars, all that developed in the world, it helps to expand on Genesis. So it will take a revolution of grace following in the path of Jesus to get that, to restore. But we're on the way, you see, we've gotten to a stage where we can now do that. Just so the people hearing you understand your view, can you encapsulize just a short summary of 
your view on the fact that you believe what happened in the garden, but how evolution falls into this, what your view of the creation part and evolution are in, in that. Evolutionary biology and evolutionary science explain so much about human nature um, in an amazing way. It's one of the things that convinced me evolution has to be true because you can predict what people are going to do. It's so good. It explained everything. And, you, and also, there, there has a book been written called The Genetics of Original Sin. Like, there are evolutionists who say, oh, we don't need religion anymore. We can explain evil and what happens. And then others say that the Darwinian view of human nature is practically identical with that of Christianity, which it is. Um, and that, but, but like, without Christianity, we will never be able to overcome what's been done. It expands, you know, like, basically, it's obvious, you know, in, in Genesis, you know, that God says, you know, your husband will dominate you and all the things, the punishment for what they did. But um, it's a relationship in, in one of the things in the Catholic Catechism is how the, the male-female relationship is a relationship marked by lust and domination. So what happened, like, you see, that's why my study of evolution is kind of reverse engineering. That's why I did so much research to find out how it happened and what happened. Now, you know, the big question is, was there an original couple? Was there an Adam and Eve? Now, evolutionary creationism has come out with great hypotheses. Like, it used to be said that, okay, we couldn't have come from a single couple because our genes are too diverse, that one mm -hmm. couple couldn't have diversity. But now it's been shown that it, there are way, it could have. There could have been, it, there could have been an Adam and a single couple. Um, but like on the other, the other thing is like in Genesis 1, you know, God creates humanity. He, cre he creates a humanity. There's, there's two accounts of creation that he creates humanity and male and female, he created them in his image. So it, the first one is the population. There are some who put the two together and they say, well, like you could look at Adam and Eve as being the first leader and his wife, that Adam and Eve would be a genealogical Adam and Eve, that they would have been, their children had a lot, they had lots of children and they would have, their impact on the group would have been, you know, they would have affected them and we're all descended from that group. So that's another one. Then there's there's a lot of, there's another, another hypothesis coming out at the moment, which is that because serious evil only appeared in the Neolithic, when wealth, real wealth arrived, you know, when they were settled down on a farm and real mm -hmm. wealth arrived, that's when, that's when wars and all that kind of thing began, the Neolithic. So there are some who say, and there's that, it was then, there's a new book out that says that the genealogical Adam and Eve, that God could have created a de novo couple then, a de novo Adam and Eve, or it could have been an Adam and Eve, a couple that lived there that God chose, but he could have created them de novo as well. If he created them de novo, it would be to be without sin, to lead the humans that were there, to show them how to lead them. This was just the very beginning of the Neil before all the bad things started happening. So that's another, that would actually satisfy young earth creationists, you know? Mm -hmm. There's there's lots of hypotheses. Now, my, in my book, in Homo Lapsus, I put that, um, that Adam and Eve could have been the, the leader. And so, but, but I mean, the thing is that um, Genesis is so ahead of evolution. The other thing too is there's so much in the Old Testament as well, as well as the New Testament, that expands and ex that, that really gives the full meaning to evolution. That's another way, you know, the Bible is inspired, that it's inspired. We learn, you know, without the Bible, we wouldn't, we would never know what to do. We'd never know how to overcome it. There were first humans, a first couple, a first leader and his wife, 
that rejected God, that disobeyed God and wanted to be God. The first leader in his life probably wanted to be God themselves, or the first. There's actually another hypothesis just out now, you see, another interesting one, that um, there's a species that, from which we evolved, Homo heidelbergensis. This is a new one from uh, William Lane Craig, and he is saying that there could, you see, because back then, that was once it was before 500,000 years, first couple, there would have been given enough time for the genes to evolve. Is it the, the first human, to, the first Adam and Eve could have been, uh, God could have ensouled and, you know, improved a first couple. Because we know that Homo heidelbergensis were intelligent, no, not with the challenges, but, and that he could have ensouled them and done things, intervened in, their, in them and, every, and made them into the first Homo sapiens. So he said the first two, the first male and female, Adam and Eve, first Homo sapiens, were actually Homo heidelbergensis transformed by God. And you see, that's another very interesting hypothesis. Um, but the main thing is that we are all descended, you see. We're all descended from the first humans, whether it was the first couple, whether it was the first group, the leader, Adam and Eve. And that part of the sin is in our genes, you know. When you put, put the two things together, you get the huge picture of us, a much bigger picture. It's like two halves of a jigsaw puzzle. You get a much fuller picture of us. What do you see or what are your hopes for women in the church today to become or be seen as, take on, that kind of thing? One of the things I discuss in the book is the Me Too movement. And you see, the Me Too movement could only have arisen in a society where there had been feminism. Like for example, sexual harassment would, would have been unknown until educated women started going into the workforce. We got the rights and freedoms that we have, you see? Yeah. One of the things that the Me Too movement has shown is the patriarchal power structures and how they evolved. How they're they're in the basic, they're you know, they they form some patriarchal structures are embedded in society and show how females, you know, how there can be sexual coercion and oppression and so on. And that has shed an awful lot of light on how things and and of course it it also evolution by natural selection explains that and it, how how it happened and why it's like that. And you see, but Genesis explains it even more. In other words, we wanted to rule ourselves. We wanted to be, they wanted to be God. Wanted to, we didn't want God ruling us, leading us and guiding us. We wanted to do it ourselves. Right. So Joseph Bob, now evolution explains why men want power, the male will to power. And men want power and the higher up they get, you know, the better for them. And of course, men suffer from that too. Like war, you know, that's another very important thing about feminism and particularly theological feminism. But males would be as liberated. Like men suffer so much from male aggression and having wars and all the things that men have to, to do. And But the thing is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And if you think about what Paul said, that Jesus, mm-hmm. even though he didn't take equality with God as something to be taken advantage of, yeah. that he became he became man, he was a servant, a slave, and his obedience was obedience to death, even death on the cross. So if you think of the pattern of Jesus' life, incarnation from God down to a very poor human who then was everybody's slave, he was so humble. And then he, he left himself, he sacrificed himself for the most shameful death that the Roman Emperor gave, death on a cross. So, like, you know, the, the way they humiliated the stations of the crosses today, showing mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the way he was mocked and so on. So Jesus went the opposite way. He told us as a, as a species, the male, the male will to power. He came the other way. And that's showing us his kenosis. You see, that's showing us the way forward. 
the way to go. Evolution explains how it happened and says, it's hard to Ireland, there's nothing we can do, you know? You see, that's why I say in the book, we need a revolution of grace. And mm-hmm. Jesus, yeah, yeah, we fought, fought, and as he said as well, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that is follow his example. That's what's thing. like, he didn't leave a list of, he couldn't, you know, that's what, as a moral theologian, when moral philosopher, when you look at the, he didn't leave, he, was, he wasn't into rules. He was into how to be, and he was into to be loving and, you know, and to follow in his life, which means you have to be prepared like he did to take social risks as well. And, you know, and he did all that following his path. And he said, you know, you might have to carry your, you have to carry your own cross. But the thing is that you do that and then you'll know ultimate truth and the truth mm. will set you free from sin and it'll set you free, you know, from legalism. You will know, you'll be led by the spirit. You'll know what to do. So that's following his path of humility, is, you know, Canovas. So only within Christianity can we do that. Females, we have our flaws as a sex, of course, as well, and we have to overcome them. But we are the oppressed sex. And because you see, like Me Too shows, you know, male power and what it does. And we understand that all the more. And you see, that's why you can see now how his female disciples, like Jesus, was, would have been the kind of a male that could have been their political messiah and could have ruled the world. You know, he had, he had the potential. And the fact that he didn't, of course, that's why he was a threat. That's why, see, he let, by not taking up arms, he left himself vulnerable to the male, to the political male religious establishment. Mm-hmm. And they took advantage of they were they were together then, you see. And he left himself open to that. He made his sacrifice. He was the ultimate victim. Jesus, the ultimate victim ever. And you see, his female disciples could see a male with that potential to do that. What no other male would ever do, you know. Does he what must be God? You know, they would know that only some only a divine male do that and that he must have been a godman and the way you see the other thing too is when you read the gospels and you see the way that he saw all women in the fullness of their dignity in personhood and he used so many beautiful he was very poetic he used beautiful metaphors and imagery he really understood women deeply and oh he was so protective and defended them and supported them and he, he saw them all in the fullness of their dignity and personhood. And that's another thing that his females would have known. They would have seen a kind of a love that only a God-man could give. Even when you read the God, in every way, you can see he saw, that, you know, he saw things differently to everybody else, like the way he saw people, the way, you know, the way he always stood up for those considered other. Yeah. The, the, the marginalised. Mm. And when you see the way we've gone, it kind of helps you to understand that his divine consciousness, his love, his Christian love, his Christ, like he preached Christian agape love. He saw every, through that love because he was divine, his divine consciousness. And so he showed how to follow and how to, to follow in that and how to get that. And he has shown the way, the way to go. And you see, his female disciples understood it and saw him because they were female. And you see... I think that the next phase, the next phase of Christianity. Okay, first of all, women will have to be given equal authority uh-huh. in the church with men, okay. particularly like now in at least in the Reformed tradition, ordination is allowed in a lot of denominations, but it's still controversial. And the patriarch, the structure is still patriarchal. You see, another thing, I just oh yeah, wait, better say this too. Another thing we've learned from evolution is that religion and politics evolved in tandem with one another as a force for social control, especially of women. And so you always have to distinguish between religion as a phenomenon and religion when it was under the control of its founder. And when it was under the control of Jesus, it was so radical, it was so revolutionary in every way, then it was only when it became 
the state religion, you see, that, you know, that it became much more political. And that's when women lost the equality mainly. And although, OK, as we said, overall, it did work its way through. It did work its way through in secular society. But like the thing is, you see, we're not a hierarchical species. Or Women need to get equal power and authority in the church, and that would help to get rid of it. You know, leadership doesn't shouldn't have to lead to elitism. You know, mm-hmm. leadership gifts should be given. They're gifts and should be used in a humble way. Just like you know, Jesus travelled around in a group of males and females on an equal level. He supposed to serve them, you know. In institutional Christianity, particularly in Roman Catholicism, um, it's still inherently sexist. I mean, secular society is improved, you know, although another, unfortunately, another thing about movements is, you know, those kind of movements is that the pendulum can swing too far in the other direction. And uh-huh. feminism has kind of, you know, like it's tr- like one of the one of my issues with feminism, contemporary feminism, is it's kind of saying, well, me- women are the same as men and trying to get women to do the same jobs all the time as men. It's very clear in Genesis that it's male and female complementarity. We have our gifts, males, you have your gifts, and complementarity in the world would make the world a much more peaceful, much better place. That's one of the things that has, and even it's kind of trying to demasculate men, you know, so it, that's, it can go too far. But you uh-huh. see, in, in Christianity, we get what God wanted, male-female complementarity. And that can mean women can still have an equal voice in the public sphere without it having to be, like, it'll be a new, a new form of democracy. Democracy will have to move on, you know, to a new, a new, a new form. Like, women to get equal voice in the public sphere, things would have uh-huh. to be, only Christianity could get us there, you know. And also, religion and politics, particularly Christianity and politics, needs to... In many ways, you see, particularly in the Roman Empire, it became another route to power for males. See, mm-hmm. it was very shaped by the Roman aristocracy and, like, basically the Pope when the Empire, when like Pontifex Maximus, it was the title of the, you know, of the emperor, was it was the head of the state religion. The patriarch, the power structure. Women will be good at helping to reduce, abolish the patriarchal power structures, and get a much more Christian. Gospel based. So, Neve, tell people how they can find out more about what you're doing, about your book, since it's it came out a year ago, but it's coming out in uh, paperback. Where they can find more out about you and what's going on. The main theme of my book is to show how a combination of insights from evolutionary biology, feminism, and Me Too shows I illuminates the way forward for women both in the church and society. You see, the the secular Christianity, the women have more. As less is less sexist and have more freedoms, but only Christian a revolution of grace can give us can re, can restore harmony. And so, women need to get back into the church. I I'm hoping that my book will be will give born again experiences even to women that aren't are non-practicing or even atheists. Because uh-huh. when they see the way Jesus treated women, you know, and because it's only within Christianity that we get. Now the book is all of that is in the book and shows Jesus' treatment of women and how and also explains why women, only women, can lead the church into its next, much more spiritual phase. So we can teach men, we'll be able to teach men how to go into the next phase. So to just be temporary, you know, women women should actually need, would need to probably have even more roles in the, in the church for a while, temporarily, to get into the next phase.
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay, so women will be returning to the source of their of their freedom. Like our freedoms are more in the secular world now, but we'll be returning to our, to the actual source of them, and that's where it can be it can be restored. Where Genesis can be can be the harmony between the sexes can be can be restored in a way uh, that will transform the public sphere and will be as a liberating for males as as for females. And my website, my author website, uh-huh. is nevemiddletonauthor.com. Also, I have a page, Neve M. Middleton, on Facebook. Okay. Uh, on Facebook. And I'll be posting those, too. And I have a Twitter, at Priema, B-R-I-E-M-M-A, at Priema, Twitter again, so, yeah. Okay, good deal. Well, Neve, thanks for joining us again, and... A lot for people to chew on there and, and uh, you know, look forward to other things coming out from you. Thank you. Thank All right. You. Thanks. Thank Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.